This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope you're well and I hope you enjoyed the recent episode where I spoke with Matt Freeman about his England journey. It's still available at your podcast provider of choice or threelionspodcast.com. I'll have another episode from that series very soon. So stay subscribed. Uh, You won't miss it. Uh, And if you fancy getting involved, just drop me an email. Threelinespodcast at gmail.com. Now, firstly, before we get on to this episode, I'm sure you've seen the recent news regarding Euro 2028. It was announced on Wednesday, the 4th of October, that Turkey had pulled out of the running to host it. Uh, with just six days until UEFA officially announced the hosts. But in a nutshell, the only other candidate running was the bid from ourselves, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So all things being well, on the 10th, we should be announced as hosts. Uh, If it hasn't already, by the time this episode is out. Uh, So it looks like it's coming home. Uh, If you'd like more information on the tournament and where the potential games will be, back in April, I recorded an episode looking at the combined bid of ours and also Turkey's. Uh, It's episode 257. So what of Turkey? Well, they've dropped out to focus on hosting the 2032 Euros with their near neighbours, Italy, a nation... Uh, 1,200 miles away. I know, it's bizarre. Uh, But if that sounds daft, I'm sure you've heard FIFA's plans for the 2030 World Cup. (laughs) Oh, my word. That's an episode for another day, and I'm looking at doing one. Okay, uh, this episode. This is the preview to our upcoming games against Australia and Italy. It's been a while since we played at Wembley. Not since the 26th of March when we beat Ukraine 2-0 on a sunny Sunday. Uh, That's just under six months ago. Coming up, I'll take a look through Gareth's latest squad and have a chat with a couple of people who know our opponents a little better than I do. Now, the current state of play in Group C, as we aim to qualify for next year's Euros in Germany, And it is as follows. We are top with 13 points after five games. Now, second placed Italy, third placed Ukraine and fourth placed North Macedonia are all tied on seven points. Although Italy have a game in hand on both of them. Malta, bless them, are bottom with no points after five matches. Although they did score once if that's any consolation. Whilst we are going to be playing Australia, uh, Italy are at home to Malta and Ukraine are home to North Macedonia. That's being played at Sparta Prague's EPET Arena. 
uh, Prague in the Czech Republic. Uh, of course, Ukraine still playing their games on the road. Uh, now, our fixtures are Friday the 13th of October, Australia at home in a friendly 7.45 kickoff. Tuesday the 17th of October is Italy in a Euro qualifier. Kickoff for that is also 7.45. Now, that Australia game, as I mentioned, is on Friday the 13th. Listener Richard Cook picked up on this after he saw a Twitter posting of mine showing the arrival of my tickets with the date clear to see. He suggested a feature on how many times England had played on this particular date. Now, for those that aren't aware, Friday the 13th in England is deemed to be an unlucky combination of day and date. In other countries, I've since learned that they have other days deemed to be unlucky. Greece, for example, is Tuesday the 13th uh, and Friday the 17th in Italy. There you go. Uh, Now, I know the answer to this little question and I'll put you out of your misery in a minute. But I wanted to put it into some sort of context and I found myself down a bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, I wanted to know how many times England had played on a Friday. I must admit, I've never really been a fan of Friday night football, uh, and even more so since the Premier League introduced it in 2017. It was that year when Arsenal opened the season at home to Leicester. But we're pretty much stuck with it now. And I think even if there was a an eighth day added to the week, Sky or the like would uh, still commandeer that day and show a game on it. So that rabbit hole. Uh, England's first ever game, as we know it, was back in 1872. It was a Saturday. And since then, we have played 1,047 times. Here we are, we're getting to the nitty gritty now. 41 of those games have been on a Friday. So 3.91% of our total games have been on a Friday. Our first Friday night game was in 1937, away to Norway in May of that year. We won 6-0. But let's get back to Friday the 13th. In answer to that question, how many times have we played on Friday the 13th? The answer is twice. Uh, Back in 1949, we played away to Sweden. Then in 2015, we went away to Spain. And here it is. We lost them both. (laughs) Who's to know what's going to happen this Friday the 13th? And here's one more thing that I found out doing this mindless research. A month will only have a Friday the 13th in it if the month begins on a Sunday. Yes, and you thought you just tuned into this for England football-related content. Uh, I've got to give credit to both England Football Online and England Stats for all of that as I trawled through their websites. Okay, right, come on, let's get on to the serious stuff. Thursday, the 5th of October, 
Gareth Southgate announced his latest 26-man squad. Let's get to it straight away. This is what he announced before the inevitable withdrawals. Goalkeepers, Sam Johnston, Jordan Pickford and Aaron Ramsdale. Defenders, Levi Colwell, Lewis Dunk, Mark Gay, Harry Maguire, John Stones, Fikayo Tomori, Kieran Trippier and Kyle Walker. In midfield, Trent Alexander-Arnold. That's where Gareth likes to use him at the moment, doesn't he? Uh, Jude Bellingham, Connor Gallagher, Jordan Henderson, Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice. And then our strikers for these two games, Jared Bowen, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Harry Kane, James Madison, Eddie Nketiah, Marcus Rashford, Bakayo Saka and Ollie Watkins. It is a squad represented by uh, five from Manchester City, four from the Arsenal, two from Crystal Palace, Chelsea and Manchester United and one each from Everton, Brighton, AC Milan, Newcastle United, Liverpool, Real Madrid, Al Etifak, West Ham, Bayern Munich, Tottenham Hotspur and Aston Villa. Uh, And just mentioning that one player represented um, from Everton is, of course, Jordan Pickford. Um, A couple of people contacted me after the last episode where I ran through some players who'd come from the blue half of Liverpool, um, Everton. um, And I forgot to mention Jordan Pickford, of all people. At least I know uh, people are listening to what I'm saying. (laughs) Thank you. Anyway. Um, But it is a squad with an average age of 26 and a half years. There are 771 caps across it and 94 goals. Now, two players have been selected that have yet to represent the team. Levi Colwell and Eddie Nketiah. Uh, Harry Kane is the most capped with 86 and, of course, holds the goal-scoring record with 59 goals. Uh, I'm sure I said in a previous episode, uh, I'm sure he'll get to 60 by the end of this qualifying campaign. Uh, He may well get to 60 by the end of this international window. Uh, Kyle Walker is the oldest and Jude Bellingham is the youngest. Do you know what? I saw a stat the other day about Jude. Uh, And so far in his time at Real Madrid, he has played 11 games. He's scored nine times. And he has won seven Man of the Match awards. He's just ripping apart La Liga, ripping apart the Champions League. Did you see the goal he scored against uh, Napoli, wasn't it? My word, what a player. What a player. I mean, what a player he is now, but what a player he is going to be. Obviously, there is the conversation about Harry Maguire. And we seem to have it every time. But let's just have a look at that for a moment. Since Scotland away, and and we all remember that, um, for the good and and the unfortunate that happened to him, um, at the time of Gareth announcing the squad, Manchester United have played six matches. Now, he didn't play in a league match against Brighton. He wasn't in the squad that faced Bayern in the Champions League. 
He wasn't in the squad that faced Burnley in the Premier League. He did have 90 minutes in the EFL Cup against Crystal Palace. And he came on as an 87th minute substitute in the following league game, also against Palace. So with injury time, he had eight minutes. And then he didn't play against Galatasaray in the Champions League. So he's had nigh on 100 minutes game time since Scotland. Now, John Stones has also been selected, yet he hasn't had one minute of Manchester City's six fixtures since Scotland away. Calvin Phillips came on as an 83rd minute sub at home to Red Star. Uh, We know him as Red Star. I'm not prepared to try and pronounce how they're officially called. Uh, He came on as a 51st minute sub away to Forest. He had 90 minutes against Newcastle in the EFL Cup. And he came on as a 65 minute sub against Wolves. I'm not going to go through all the players, but one last one. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale, who was in goal that day away in Scotland. He's only featured in one game for Arsenal since then. I don't know the answer to all of this, but at the end of the day, as long as these players don't let Gareth and England down and there's no one else really coming through, then we're going to continue to see these players selected. It's great to see Ollie Watkins make a return to the squad. He'd done himself no harm with that hat-trick against Brighton. Now, he last played against the Ivory Coast in March last year when he scored the opener in a 3-0 win. West Ham's Jared Bowen. He should add to his four caps. He last played against Hungary at Wolves last year in that game. Those that missed out, once again, Raheem Sterling uh, for the fourth squad in a row. Still no Mason Mount, no Nick Pope or James Ward-Prowse. Although I think Mason Mount is still recovering from injury. uh, And Dean Henderson is also injured. Obviously, we know the Italy game is the main game this window. So I'd imagine that the, the likes of Ramsdale, Colwell... Dunk, Phillips, Bowen, Nketiah, Watkins will all play a part in the Australia game, which I imagine may have a... uh, They're all good players, obviously, aren't they? And they're all fully capable, but a almost a second string feel to it. Um, And that may sort of reflect in the, the atmosphere at Wembley. We'll have to wait and see. So... At the point of recording this, whilst there have been no official England withdrawals, Bakayo Saka didn't play in Arsenal's win over Manchester City at the weekend. And Mikel Arteta has said he will be unavailable for England duty. In all honesty, uh, and I'm trying to remain impartial on this, but he needs a break, doesn't he? He needs a break. He needs a little rest. He has played... Untold amount of games for Arsenal. He's been continuously good for England, but obviously picked up an injury uh, away to Lawns and the Champions League. Let him have a little break. We can get through these games without Bukayo Saka. He can have a little break and then we're good to go next time around. And obviously with the Euros next year, he needs to be an integral part of that squad. 
So if there's ever an opportune time to give him a break, it is now. Right, time to take a look at our upcoming opponents. First up is Australia, Friday night. We last met the Aussies back in 2016 at Sunderland Stadium of Light, a game which we won 2-1. Rashford and Rooney on the score sheet there. Eric Dyer with an own goal. Uh, Famously, though, 2003 at West Ham's old Upton Park. uh, Wayne Rooney's debut. Um, we uh, we famously lost that one, didn't we? 3-1. Uh, some of you may remember that was a match where famously Sven Goran Eriksson made 11 changes at halftime. He, he sent out a completely new team. Uh, the, back pages, the back pages took him to task that day. Um, now, right, from the A-League Couch Critics YouTube channel, I'd like to welcome uh, Brad to the Three Lions podcast. Brad, hello there. Hey, Russell. How are you going? Very well, thank you. We are, we're speaking to you uh, all the way from Australia, just outside of Sydney. So, um, yeah, I think it's a little bit later for you. Yeah, it's, it's about 9pm uh, at the moment. So the sun probably set about an hour ago. So it's uh, it's not too late. Um <laughs> So we've, I think we've lined it up pretty well with the time zones. Lovely. I mean, it's, it's what's it? Your uh, like mid spring at the moment, are you? Yeah, be about mid spring. Gotcha. Uh, well, I was um, put your way um, by a listener of uh, of both podcasts, the Three Lions and the uh, the A League Couch Critics. So uh, I just want to say uh, thanks to Hugo Malim um, who pointed me in your direction. So. The the game against uh, yourselves a little while back, I said um, Australia was a was a weaker opponent in the run up to the Euros. In hindsight, have I have I done you a disservice there? Yeah, uh, maybe maybe it is a bit of a, a disservice. I think um, compared to the last time we two countries played back in 2016, I think our expectations and our forms probably improved quite a lot. Mm. Um, to, to, obviously, we made the round of sixteen. We we pushed Argentina in the World Cup um, right to the end of the game. Um, that was back in December, so it's been quite some time now. But um, I'm hoping we can um, give um, England a good test uh, ahead of their what you're playing Italy, aren't you? In one of the uh, Euro That's qualifiers. Right. So um, yeah, I'd like to think we can give them a run for their money. But you know, from what I've seen of England, you know, they're one of the um, the best teams in Europe potentially one of the best teams in the world. So it's going to be really tough for us. But, um, you know, I, I, I think um, us as a nation and a lot of the other a- Asian nations are probably quite undervalued mm. um, from, no, not, I'm not saying from you, but maybe some um, other Europeans. I think we saw at the World Cup, we saw Australia, Japan, South Korea perform quite well, got to the round of 16. So, um, yeah, I, I'd like to think we can give you guys a, a good test. but. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really tough game. Well, let's just just cast our minds back to that Qatar World Cup. Um, you played both the finalists. You lost initially to France uh, and then beat Tunisia and Denmark. And then, as you say, you you lost to the the winners, Argentina. But but that was that was quite a game. As you say, you pushed them all the way. Mm. I mean, if you hadn't have bumped into Argentina, um, yeah, a chance of, of going a little bit further. What What was the feeling? Um, your side of the world about the World Cup and and how far you could have gone. 
No, I think it was actually quite mixed. At the start of it, we went in quite pessimistic. Our coach, Graham Arnold, was probably on his, you know, this was probably his last opportunity. If he performed quite poorly, he would have got the sack. And I was probably one of those people thinking he wasn't the right man to lead the um the team forward. And after that 4-1 loss to France, I mean, you're going up the likes of Kylian Mbappe and um, Olivier Giroud. I mean, that's that's one hell of a team. Yeah. Um, but I think we were quite critical of our team. In hindsight, we're probably a bit too overcritical. Um, but then to get a win against Tunisia, our first World Cup win since 2010, and then to beat Denmark to make the knockouts for the first time since 2006, I think the mood quickly changed. And I think Graham Arnold's got the job indefinitely now, and I'm probably uh, it's probably a fair opinion, even though I still mm, I don't know what I make of him as a coach. I mean, he's achieved more than any other previous coach has for um, the Australian national team. So. Yeah, it was at the start. It was mixed, but by the end of it, I mean it was it was quite incredible. I mean, we were playing Argentina. I think it kicked off at about six a.m. in the morning in our time. Um, you can go onto YouTube, anyone listening or yourself, go out to YouTube and see the scenes from right across Australia, from Melbourne to Sydney. All these masses mass gatherings in uh, the CBD of the cities, tens of thousands of people getting together uh, to watching the game and. I think when we played Denmark, we won 1-0. Just the scenes of when we scored that goal, just the flares going off, the crowd, it was just, it was so special. And it's honestly one of the um, most specialist moments for me being a a football fan in Australia. Do you get that sort of vibe from like the A-League? Um, I mean, I've I've been to a couple of A League games um, quite a while back. I went and saw mm. Robbie Fowler at Perth Glory, and, and I went and mm. saw Brisbane Roar against someone. Um, what, what's the A League like? And has the like that that journey of the World Cup and like the feeling as you mentioned about being in the in the CBD with everyone, all the all the fans celebrating? Are, are, they, are they similar? Uh, it's funny you should bring that up because. Um, I don't know if you know too much about it. I think um, TFO Football actually did a really good video about it. About two or three days after we played Argentina, the A-League came out. So obviously we don't have a first-past-the-post. We have a final series to determine our champion. Yeah. And for about 40 years, the highest-ranked team in the grand final has always hosted it. And two or three days after that game against Argentina, when the country was on a real high, the people that run the A-League came out and said um, for the next three years, the grand final was going to be hosted in Sydney. Oh, and that really, yeah, that really got a lot of people offside because um, it really broke with tradition. And it said, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, where you finished. Mm. Um, you know, previously, you know, finishing first, being the highest ranked team in the grand final, you were rewarded with a home grand final. And now it was taken away. And that peeved a lot of people. Um, there's some pretty unfortunate scenes that what happened in a Melbourne derby. Yeah. And um, protests went too far. Um, so that really, really killed. We didn't really any have any momentum uh, for the local comp, and that killed it. But the Women's World Cup we just had, that, you know, that was just um, one of the biggest sporting events we've ever had in anything in Australia. Yeah. We had like 18 million people watch the Matildas played England in the, in the semifinals. We're a population of 25 million. So 
three quarters of the nation was watching that. And that's not accounting for any paid subscription viewership. So the women's will start on the 14th of October and the men's comp will start a week later. So I think hopefully the recent Women's World Cup will actually provide a big boost to our women's comp. Hopefully it will provide a bit of a boost for the men. So hopefully we're seeing a lot of patching up from all that crap that happened back in December. So, yeah, oh. long story to your question. Um, the the mood of the World Cup was gone pretty quickly um, in the local game. But, yeah, hope, well, hopefully, as Joy just said there, it will uh, yeah. it'll pick up again. Uh, well, let's let's just move back to the the upcoming game. I've had a uh, I've had a gander through the the squad that the the mm. Socceroos have put out, and I was just going through it, and obviously all these familiar club names um, mm. that I recognised, and only only three of the players are based um, in Australia. Yet you've got you've got five in Scotland, you've got six mm. based here in England. Are there any players that? That you sort of maybe want to pick out and say, yeah, it could be a, um, it could be interesting in this game. Yeah, probably one player is Massimo Luanga, who's playing for Ipswich Town, who have, um, by all reports, have enjoyed a, a really great start to the season yeah. in the championship. Um, him and Cameron Burgess actually both play for Ipswich, but Massimo Luanga hasn't played for the Socceroos, I think, for about five years, twenty eighteen, maybe even before that. So he was. Um, the guy who scored in the Asian Cup final for us back in tw- 2015. I'm pretty sure he was the player of the tournament. And then he really kind of just dropped off. But he's been killing it uh, for Ipswich of late. And I think his call-up is really, really well-deserved. And yeah. I'm really keen to see how he go. Um, because, you know, he plays over in England. Hopefully, you know, he won't have the jet lag and all that kind of stuff. But he's just in really good form. He's kind of revitalized his career. Um, so for me, that's probably one player. Um, a few English guys to have a watch out. Well, some of the English guys probably know um, know him a bit. Or, but yeah, he's probably one player. I'd uh, I'd say to keep an eye out for. Okay, there's um, I say there's a, a few Scottish players um, in there as well. But when we, mm-hmm. especially here in England, when we think of like Australian players who've played over in the Premier League, so mm-hmm. cast our minds back to as Harry Kuehl, Mark Viduka, Mark Schwarzer as well. Sort of mm-hmm. the the Leeds and, and Middlesbrough sides of the time. What what sort of impact did they have um, on on the Australian game? Yeah, well, in the intro, you're actually talking about that um, when Wayne Rooney made his debut. I yeah. think that was actually the time when um, Harry Kuehl actually, I think all of Australia, like we knew he was this good, great young kid coming up, but it, I think all of Australia was like, wow, this Harry Kuehl kid is good. And had he not had a career blighted by injury, who knows how far he would have went. Um, but that, those guys you mentioned, those are those are the guys are still that are held up as probably some of the greatest players to ever pull on the green and gold for Australia. Um, Timmy Cahill as well. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. The, I don't know how much they're involved in the Australian game. I think uh, Mark Swartz is over there in England. He works for Optus Sports, who uh, broadcasts the Premier League for us. Timmy Cahill. Um to put it lightly, would sell his grandma if he could make five bucks. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Mark Viduka, I think, has a coffee shop in Croatia, so I don't oh, think right. he's... Uh, yeah, so he's got Cro- Croatian parents. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't I don't think any of those guys are, like, long-term, have they, um, I guess, been involved with the game after they've retired? Harry Kiel's gone on coaching on, yeah, in England. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, th- th- those guys are... 
I guess, national heroes uh, for the Socceroos. Um, but hopefully we're creating uh, new national national heroes and we've got some uh, really good players in the squad that um, are a part of the, that next generation. Yeah. Just remembered, actually, going back a, a little bit, we've actually got a, a connecting manager. Uh, Terry Venables was England manager oh, yeah. from... Uh, it must have been ninety. I think it was ninety four to ninety six. He his last game mm. was the the Euro semi final, um, and he had an eventful time uh, in charge of Australia for a period. Do you remember that? Well, when he last coached Australia, I was about three years old, so I don't uh, remember him particularly well. But uh, he was actually the coach. We played Iran. I think is this what I'm looking at? Yeah, yeah. We played I Iran think- in a ninety seven in ninety seven at the MCG in Melbourne. Um, to play in the World Cup for the first time in over 25 years. And uh, it's... Uh, it's quite it's a story, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably one of the darkest days uh, for mm. the soccer. So they drew the first game in Tehran, in Iran, one all. We're 2-0 up in Melbourne. Uh, a notorious pest runs onto the field, um, damages the goal mouth. The game game's delayed for like 20 minutes, and it's really killed the momentum. Iran comes back. Draws to all, we go out on the away goals rule, and I don't think we even lost a, go- a game during that qualifying campaign. So, um, yeah, that, that that's uh, that's a pretty uh, dark day in the uh, the history of Australian football. But uh, yeah, listen, I think um, yeah, I don't know much too more about uh, Terry Venables because that was uh, a bit poor for my time. But uh, to get that close, it was uh, it would have been heartbreaking for him. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um- the back to the the upcoming game at Wembley. Obviously, there's the the time difference. Um, mm. What is it going to be? Early morning for you guys. What time is the kick off? So it'll be seven forty five evening for us. Um, yes, yeah, so it's probably going to be about um, five in the morning. Maybe have a look. Five forty five. Yeah, um, in the morning. Yeah, so that's uh, a pretty early. Well, that's it. I thought five forty five in uh, on the east coast in Sydney and Melbourne and all that. Yeah. So you got that. And then a few days later, uh, you'll have another early morning because there's the, I've not really heard of this one before, but there is the soccer ashes is what we're being told it's called. Um, you, Australia against New Zealand um, mm. in London at Brentford. How do you guys feel about that one? Is it is it like a local derby being played the other side of the world? To me, that would almost be like, that's England, Scotland being played in, Perth or, or Sydney. Yeah, it is a bit weird. I think playing over there in London, uh probably obviously be a lot better to to play it in Australia. Um yeah, yeah, it, it should honestly be played in Australia or New Zealand. It's probably more of a logistical thing because yeah. I imagine a lot of Australians are based in Europe and I imagine some of the New Zealanders would be based over there. Um like we played Australia played Mexico in the last international window and we played it in uh, Dallas. Obviously, oh, really? a lot of Mexicans in the yeah. USA, but um, yeah, and then we played Argentina in China as well. Obviously, that was probably a bit more of a publicity stunt for Messi, but mm. yeah, we we haven't. Uh, when do they? I saw him play Ecuador in Sydney. Must have been the end of. Oh no, it was earlier this year, I think, back in like March. Must have been. But um, the Socceroos have a history of actually not playing too much in Australia. And then we don't have a national stadium, so the games get shared around. Well, in theory, they're meant to be shared around, but a lot of the games tend to be either be played in Sydney or Melbourne. Mm. That that must be incredibly frustrating for 
football fans, soccer fans, um, to to see your team play their home games around the world. I, I could imagine that's frustrating. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and the time zone as well. You know, if we ever want to watch any Premier League or La Liga, it, I mean, you can't do anything about that. But mm. um, even during World Cups, you know, we've uh, had to have put up with some pretty crap timelines, but... That's how it goes living in this part of the world. Yeah. Well, you, you've got great weather, great beaches as a consolation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was, uh, I was thinking that the other day. I think in the middle of winter, you know, the sun goes down at about 5.30 in the Arvo. I don't know what time. I think the sun goes down at what, like three in the Arvo for you guys in the middle of winter. Oh, no, not um, three. Maybe about, okay. Maybe pushing five. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. But e- even in winter, like I, I've been to, to London in winter and it's, uh, it's pretty cold. Um, yeah. It doesn't get uh, particularly warm, but even though we might have pretty cold, at least where I live uh, overnight, uh, it does get uh, fairly warm uh, in the middle of the day. Yeah. Well, it's been great to great to speak to you, Brad. Just tell us a little bit about um, the the A League Couch Critics. Um, you're it's YouTube, isn't it? Yeah, we're mainly YouTube. I've tried to branch off into TikTok, but I'm I'm absolutely hopeless uh, with doing it. But yeah, it's uh it's mainly. It's mainly on YouTube. You can subscribe. We've got over 700 subs. We're looking to hopefully crack uh, 1,000 during this season. It's uh, a channel that's co-hosted by myself, Brad, and one of my mates, Sog. Uh, we started back in 2020 in the middle of uh, COVID lockdown, and we just basically uh, just want to ke- keen to talk about the A-League. Um, our competition is not the number one uh, football co- or football or soccer is not the biggest sport in Australia. We've got a lot of other sports that are uh, bigger in terms of like rugby league and cricket and Australian rules football. So we're really keen to just promote our code, um, promote our uh, local comp and try and get uh, a bit more publicity into it and uh, raise the awareness around it. And there's some other great uh, content creators around in Australia that are trying to do the same thing and it's great and hopefully we can uh, bolster um, the support of uh, the local game because, you know, I grew up, um, supporting Liverpool, and um, I think in recent years I've, I've really tried to invest more into the A League, and I think it's really great that you know I can pay twenty bucks to go watch my local team, the Wanderers, play three o'clock in the Arvo at a reasonable time, and uh, potentially meet some players um, all in a reasonable time zone. And um, I think it's uh, for us Australians. I really want to promote um, supporting the Australian game. You can support your overseas overseas team as well, but. Uh, um, I really want people to get around uh, the Australian game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, keeping it keeping it local um, is is a great thing to do. I mean, you you're lucky there playing what to say twenty bucks a ticket. Um, mm. I'd, I'd love that. Um, sadly, the it's the way we are now, especially over mm. here. But um, no, thank you very much for that. I'll uh, I'll make sure I I link to you guys um, when mm. this podcast comes out. Um, and yeah, it's been been great to speak to you. Enjoy the game. Um, it's going to be an interesting one. Personally, I think from a, uh, an England perspective, we're not going to put out a a full strength team, um, especially with the the Italy game coming up afterwards. But um, it's going to be. I never got to ask you about your thoughts on the England team because I keep seeing um, Harry Maguire and Calvin Phillips keep getting picked, and yet they never play for their club teams. And I see so many people online whinging about that. What, what are your thoughts on the team and those two guys in particular? Uh, as as I've already mentioned, the mm. Harry Maguire has actually he's played a, played a few games. Calvin Phillips as well played a few games since mm. we uh, since we last played against Scotland. Mm. Um, 
at the end of the day, sometimes you, you look at Gareth and and how he selects his squad. I've, I've said it before, he, he has his favourites. Um, and, mm. and at the end of the day, he's... He, he likes to pick his favourites and be loyal to mm. them. Um, and you have to be honest, does Maguire ever mm. let England down? Um, and you, you kind of mm. think, well, no, he hasn't really. Mm. Um, Phillips is, has done a good job. But whilst you've got the, I mean, like Sir John Stones, he's been brought back mm. into the team for for this particular game. He hasn't played mm. any minutes since Scotland. So, Kind of Maguire being in there is that sort of experience that maybe there is a slight transition going on mm-hmm. that he Maguire can pair up with with another centre half to sort of ease them in um, in that mm-hmm. respect. Um, yeah, we'd love to have uh, a a good pairing of of English centre halves or, or ones who are playing regularly for. For, for their club sides, but I don't think we've really got that at the moment. Mm. Um, as, as you're probably fully aware, the, the Premier League is um, sort of full of overseas players who, who obviously aren't mm. eligible to, to play for England. So we are kind mm. of in that sort of position. And, and Southgate's gone on record before as saying he doesn't have the largest pool of players to, mm. to pick from. Um, so yeah, it's he's kind of stuck between a a rock and a hard thing. If he was to go and mm. pick two untested, untried players, we'd be the first player. We'd be the, be the first people to say, "Oi, what you're doing?" Especially if there was right. a a bad result on the back of it. So I personally, I can see yes, he's going to continue to pick them, mm. and I think at this moment in time, yeah, keep keep selecting them. Um, yeah, but yeah. I think there will, in a period of time, become this transition. Um, where where he may just become a squad player, say say Maguire, um, and and Calvin Phillips perhaps he needs perhaps he needs a move in the uh, in the sort of winter transfer window mm. um, to to get regular time um, and become that player he was back at Leeds. Um, yeah, who knows? But yeah, no, thank you very much for for taking the time to for joining us. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, you're more than welcome. Enjoy the game. I will, and uh, for your sake, ho- hopefully you don't. I'd love to see uh, the Socceroos upset uh, England. I think a lot of Australians uh, really love to um, get behind Australia when they're playing England, so hopefully we can get a good win. Yeah, it is that, that sporting rivalry, isn't mm-hmm. it? Thanks to Brad there for his insights. Don't forget, you can find him and Sog over on YouTube. Just search AL Couch Critics. And they're also on Twitter at AL Couch Critics. Now, before we move on to Italy, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. Uh, Firstly, tickets. There are loads being offered all over the place. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp. If you want one, if you've never been to Wembley before and you're not doing anything Friday night, you don't have to search too far to find one. I don't think the ground is going to be full by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And I know that there will be one or two with legitimate reasons for not being able to attend. 
But come on, surely not everyone. And I know people say it can be hard work following England and getting those away tickets or tournament tickets. These two caps that you get given um, for attending the Australia game, these could be the difference between getting a ticket for the more desirable away games. I'm thinking Scotland recently where we didn't get a massive allocation. I'm thinking North Macedonia next month, which could be a small allocation. Uh, Going back in time, Kosovo away as well. That was a, a small allocation. But yeah, that is the difference between getting a ticket for a an away game and having that away experience or sitting at home watching it on the telly. And one more thing, it's been announced that the French referee for the game, the Australia game, will be Stephanie Frappart. Uh, and in doing so, she will become the first female referee to take charge of England at Wembley. Although it appears she's going to have male linesmen or assistant referees. Uh, Having a female ref is nothing new. Some may remember back in 2021, Ukrainian Katerina Monzel took charge of our away game uh, in Andorra. (laughs) And actually, just touching on where referees come from, uh, the excellent Twitter account, uh, Brian's Gun, done a video recently where it showed some really old footage of referees in the it's probably yeah it was the 80s 70s 80s uh, with the commentator saying where they lived uh, it's great go seek it out um, and indeed all, all his previous videos great fun last met Italy in Naples earlier this year, winning 2-1. What a game that was. Thanks to goals from Declan Rice and a record-breaking penalty for Harry Kane uh, to break Wayne Rooney's England goal-scoring record. But other than that result, in recent years, Italy have, uh, you could say, have been a bit of a bogey team for England. Um, we lost in Milan in the Nations League. We drew in Wolverhampton. You remember that game behind closed doors? And, of course, the uh, the Euro final, uh, Wembley on penalties. We could go back further. We drew in friendlies in 2018 and 2015. And whew, go back even further, the 2014 World Cup. Yes, yeah, lost that one as well. So let's talk Italy. Uh, I'd like to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast, England fan, uh, Stuart Jones, who lives and works in Italy. Stuart, hello there. Hello. Nice to speak to you again. Yeah, likewise. I think we spoke, was it before them? I think it was before that Milan Nations League game, I think, wasn't it? It was before the Milan, yeah, the Mm. Nations League where we... Lost one nil in a Raspadori goal on off. It was a good goal, if I remember well. Yeah. So, yeah. but Nations League, I think every team in the Nations League, maybe they're not motivated 100%. It's not like a qualifier. I think a qualifier, everyone puts their best team out. Uh, all the players play 100%. So, maybe a better indication was a, a qualifier in Naples or not. 
Yeah. Well, um, just to touch quickly on that Nations League, Italy, um, of course, they came, or well, they were taking part in this year's Nations League final, uh, albeit they came third after they lost to Spain uh, in the semi-final. But they, I think they beat the Dutch to, to claim third place. Exactly. They beat the Dutch, yeah. But again, I don't think Nations League, they maybe took it as serious as uh, the qualifiers. But Spain are a good team. I think Italy um, probably are not at Spain's level at the moment. Um, yeah. They don't have uh, maybe the younger players that Spain have got. Um, yeah. So definitely a bit behind Spain. And uh, I don't think any Italian would uh, argue otherwise hmm. that they're uh, going through a bit of a, shall we say, a transition at the moment between two managers too. So that's the big change as well since the last time. There's no longer Roberto Mancini. Now they've got Spalletti as manager. So he's obviously a manager who's had a fantastic last season with Naples, with Napoli. Um but I don't know. We'll see how he gets on as a, an international manager. Um, it's a different kettle of fish, as we know. Club yeah. management, where you work all day, every day. National team management is completely different. And I don't know. I'm not convinced Spalletti will be a great national team manager, whereas mm. definitely he was a very good club manager. Yeah, yeah interesting. The proper coach, um, he likes... To coach players, a certain patterns of play. Uh, national teams rarely they have enough time to coach a team. Um, so I don't know. And a lot of Italians think the same thing. That yeah. Maybe a national team manager is a, is good to have a good motivator um, because the players you only have for two days normally or two or three days. Yeah. It's not I mean- really the time to coach them much. Yes, yeah, it's, it's um, something that we hear from from English managers on on regular occasions. But I mean, just just touching on Mancini. Uh, obviously, England uh, or English fans will remember him from his time at Manchester City. Um, yeah. But he he was a motivator of of that Italian side. Obviously, they they won the Euros. Um, but he he left for the for those that maybe don't know. He left for the the bright lights and well big money of the the Saudi Arabian national team. Um, And and by all accounts, I think he resigned because of an internal dispute with the Italian FA. Um, What's the feeling there? Um, Well, it's all a bit, I don't know. I don't know who to believe. He basically said he, Gravina, a couple of weeks before, Gravina is the head of the Italian FA. Okay. Um, which is called Finchi. Um, and he basically promoted Mancini to be head of Italian football, even like under 21 level, under 20, under 18, under 17, all the levels of Italian football. Mancini was going to be kind of a super manager and decide who was going to be the coaches of all. Um, and then strangely enough, two weeks later, Buffon arrived as um, kind of team leader, um, put by Gravina, and I don't think Mancini wanted Buffon. So there was a bit of a strange thing. Two weeks after being promoted, he resigned, and, and it was a shock for everyone. 
A lot of people said he had already got an agreement with Saudi Arabia before he resigns because literally the week after he signed a contract with the Saudi Arabia national <laughs> team for a lot of money. I don't know how much, if it's 15 or 20 million a year wow. or three years. So the Italian national team don't pay that much. They pay about one and a half, two million a year. So he's definitely getting probably minimum 10 times his salary. When oh. um, from two million a year, probably 20 million a year tax free. Wow. So I think definitely there'd been a phone call contact with Saudi Arabia before he resigned. I don't think many Italians believe there was an internal problem. I think they think that was an excuse to get out. Um, right. He was, as you said, he had a, a fantastic record up until and including, unfortunately for us, the final against England. Uh, after the final against England, Italy have not done much. They failed to qualify for, obviously, the World Cup. They haven't been playing very well. Um, so I think the feeling was he'd already decided he was going to go. You saw the attendances. You were in Milan. The stadium was half empty. The happily yeah. there to give away tickets, more or less, to get the stadium full. They'd sold about 30,000 tickets a, a couple of days before the match, and they filled it up with the local local kids that probably uh, a lot of the tickets were given away, I think. So the Italian people were not, in the last few months, very happy with Mancini, not happy with a bit like, in a way, like with Southgate continuously picking his old favourites, um, like Jorginho from was Chelsea at the time, Baratti, who weren't playing very well, uh, Immobile up front. So I think he'd come to the end of the road with the fans. And I think he'd come to the end of the road maybe with the team as well. So there was maybe time to go. Uh, and now he's, yeah. Hit, hit the jackpot, really. He'll mm. be getting about 60 million in the next three years. Right. Um, and Saudi Arabia, I don't think there's much pressure compared to, to England or Italy. So, yeah, he'll go over there, probably very, very much a part-time job, work uh, uh, maybe 40, 50 days a year, Um and earn twenty million uh, a year, so no, you can't nice, really blame him. No, nice, nice work if you can get it. Exactly. Um, you, you mentioned sort of the the Italian fans and and those that were were in Naples being sort of maybe of of a lot, I noticed there was a lot of school children in the sort of the yes. lower tiers. You could you could pick them out quite easily yes. because they were all dressed in the same colours. Exactly. They, they'd school. given the tickets to the football clubs, basically yeah. the local. Is, is there like an I kind of get this impression from Italy and, and there's a bit of apathy towards the national team. There is, yes. I've been here 19 years now, and um there's a very, very strange relationship with the national team. Obviously, I was here in 2004, so I remember when they won the World Cup in 2006 until about the quarterfinal, semi-final. Nobody was really that interested. You didn't see many flags or... And then maybe they've been 
Uh, definitely have had more success than we've had. But, um, yeah. They don't really get too excited unless they get to the quarterfinals, semifinals. Um, not like in England where everyone's watching from the first game of the group stage. So it's true. Generally, national team football is way behind the, the club football. And 99% of Italians would say, oh, I prefer... Napoli or Inter or Juve or AC Milan are not the national team. It's very much second place to their... A lot of the, the South American teams obviously have crazy support for yeah. the national teams in Brazil, in Argentina, in all the other, Uruguay, Barrow, everyone watches their team. Um, here, no, they're... They take an interest, as I said, when maybe about the quarterfinal stage. Um, they watch, but they don't go crazy. They don't commit. Um, so, yeah, when they get quarterfinals, semifinals, everyone watches, obviously. It's a football-crazy country, so they watch. But um, a strange relationship, yes. Rarely you will see, look at me today, I've got my England polo on. Never you see an Italian with their Italian national team shirt on or a polo. See, you see people in uh, Inter or you uh, in those shirts, but uh, Italian national team, no, hardly ever. So, mm. and maybe not as patriotic in a way. I don't know. Um, but when they get to the final, everyone's obviously, <laughs> or the semi-final, they all jump a bit on the bandwagon, uh, uh, yeah. which is, is normal. Um but you can see with the, the away support too, I don't know, they rarely take the numbers that like England take or sell out 5,000 tickets. It's always Italians who live in London or Italians who live in Germany. So not so many people travel from Italy to see an away game, whereas well, in England, I'd say you can't even get a ticket for an away yeah, game. Exactly. Uh, follow Italy, oh, God. Um, is easy, believe me, for a home or an away game. You can buy them on the day of the match. Well, yeah. something that you mentioned to me as we communicated before the, the game, um, England not only play Italy in this international window, but they also play Australia. You mentioned that, that you'd lived in Australia. What's your experience of Australian football, soccer, as they might call it? Yes. Well, I went to Australia. And I was 22, so it was 1995, so quite a long time ago with the working visa. And I lived for a year. Um, and obviously, probably Australia's changed a lot too because at that time, football was very, very much maybe fifth or sixth biggest sport. And I'm being generous. Yeah. Um, obviously, rugby league, rugby union, cricket. Um, lots of uh, aquatic sports, sailing, swimming. So the Australians are sport crazy. Um, and in part of the lifestyle I liked the most when I lived in Sydney was just, yeah, how fit everyone was. Everyone played sport, surfing, and um, everyone was in good shape, put it like that, because <laughs> they basically lived on the beach um, and they exercised a lot. But football, no. Football was basically seen uh, yeah, Pommies sport and uh, maybe the 
second generation immigrants from European countries like Italy and Greece um, followed their, their teams. But it was difficult to watch. Uh, it was Premier League football or very difficult because this is the 1995 was before Sky. Um, and I can remember, yeah, you didn't see Premier League goals, not even a highlights program. Um, the only time we watched uh, matches, maybe FA Cup final, I can remember going to uh, King's Cross Hotel in Sydney uh, about four o'clock in the morning because the kickoffs were maybe 6 a.m. Um, so the time difference makes everything quite complicated too to watch European football. But no, there were with the people I played football in Sydney, but against other British and Irish backpackers, shall we say, we had a, a little league competition between us. Um, but Australians, no, they uh, they knew about football, but it would. We didn't really chat with Australians about no, they they didn't know enough. They knew the names of the teams, but they didn't know in enough depth that you could have a chat about the Premier League or about national football. And at that time, they had some good players, definitely. This there, Viduka, Cure at Leeds, they had three or four good players. So they were good players, but there wasn't. The, the public's interest. Now, I think, with the, obviously, the, the Matildas doing so well is a good thing for Australian football because it's bringing interest to football as a game. And I think the men's game will grow as well because Australia are good sports. Like I said, everyone's fit. Everyone looks after themselves. Rarely you see somebody overweight in Australia. They're very, very health-conscious so in the future, there's no reason why they, they definitely should improve if they put some money in. And, and maybe other sports are becoming less popular. Now we have the Rugby World Cup, and Australia are terrible at rugby mm. union. Um, yeah. so, and many people say this because there's, there's competition also from football now for the, the players. And there's becoming more money in Australian football, uh, more interest. And now they've got rugby league and football and Australian, obviously, AFL, which is there, um, very, very popular. So cricket is still popular, but definitely Australian rugby's gone downhill very, very fast, where they used to be even three or four years ago up in the top two or three teams in the world. So football may be, I think, a bit like in America, will be a slow burner, but um, and now we have at Tottenham. They've got a good manager, aren't they? And so, of course. yeah. And uh, this helps Australian football. That people think, God, look at him. He's managing a big Premier League team. Maybe uh, I, I can go in Europe and manage or play. So no, I think it's a good thing. Uh, the female football did very well. Obviously, we beat them, but. Um, for them to go in the semi-finals, a, a good result. Um, and you saw the stadiums always full, even for for female football. So I think men's football will grow on the back of that too. The interest is growing a bit, but no, it's going to be a football. going to be an interesting game, I think. Yes, but they don't have the those two or three big stars that maybe they had 
like we said, uh, 20 years ago. Mm. But maybe the balance of the team, they have a, not bad players, but uh, for a friendly, um, a warm-up against Italy is a bit... I don't know, completely. I thought they would have a friendly against another European team, maybe. We will see. We will see. Maybe Absolutely. I'd get experiment a bit with the Australia game. Yeah, and that's then, that's my thinking. Yes. Um, against Italy, obviously, we we need to win that one to, to put it to bed. Even a draw wouldn't be terrible, but definitely we don't want to lose. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I mean... That that would you'd see the Italians come out there in force then if uh, if we yes. if the Italians were to win then wouldn't you? Yes, and we're not that far ahead. If Italy win, um, it starts. Not that I don't think we'll qualify, but we want to qualify first. And I think the sooner we get it done, the better. And then maybe Sandgate can experiment with the last couple of games with a few new players, um, some of the younger players. Um, and especially up front, maybe give Harry Kane a rest. For um, I, I don't really see a need to run him into the ground before the Euros next year. Uh, maybe give him a rest for a few games, give uh, some of the midfielders and defenders a rest. Um, so, yeah, sooner we qualify, the better. So don't underestimate Italy. As we said, they, they have a very good record historically against England and they'll be motivated they've got a new manager they have some good players midfield they have some uh, Barrel uh, Tonali there's 150 million worth of player those two Locatelli Frates um, Raspador is a good player Mobile in defence and Di Lorenzo De Marc good goalkeeper Donnarumma Vicario Tottenham maybe he'll get a game he's uh uh, Vicario at Tottenham, everyone in Italy has been very impressed with how he started at Spurs. And maybe Donnarumma, or yeah, maybe they'll give him a rest. And uh, especially playing in London, in Wembley, um, I think he might have a chance of starting. But no, Italy have always got a half decent team, and rarely they're terrible. Yeah. Um, and I think they'd like nothing more especially after we beat them in Naples, to go to Wembley and win is always a big thing for any national team. You're down in the, the southern region of, is it Calabria, I believe? Calabria, yes. Calabria. Italy, unfortunately, as a nation, I think they they had recent wildfires and earthquakes as well, didn't they? I mean, are you all right there and everything's okay yes. in Italy? Yes, no, no problem. Um, in the sun, we've had well, it's still very hot now. We had very, very long hot summer up until the other day. It's thirty degrees. Today's about twenty-seven, twenty-eight. So it's still very, very warm. Earthquakes, yes. Around Naples, there's been every day minor earthquakes. Um, and I have a friend who works that. Um, and she said, yeah, every day they have a, a minor earthquake. So, but no, major earthquakes, no. Fires we had yeah, in the summer, but to be honest, they were worse in other countries. In Greece, they had terrible yeah. fires. I don't know, global warming. Or, yeah. I don't remember it lasting so long. Now it starts the hot weather, maybe the third week of May, and continues to the to Halloween, basically. Um, yeah, well, I'm oh, yeah. glad. 
I'm glad you're safe down there. Um, but yeah, strange times we live in. Enjoy the game, Stuart. It's been a uh, been a pleasure speaking to you as always. Thanks for giving us a uh, a little insight into what what the game's like over in Italy at the moment, um, and also yes. touching on Australia. Um, so yeah, let, maybe maybe next time we we meet Italy, then we can chat again. Okay, thank you, Russ. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye. My many thanks go to Stuart there for his time and insight. Right, that about wraps it up for this episode. Don't forget, if you want to listen to any of the previous ones, just head to threelinespodcast.com or your podcast provider of choice. Uh, There is a recent episode where I spoke with Matt Freeman about his England journey. Uh, I've got a few more of those to come soon. And I'm also working on an episode that goes back 20 years to the month on an event that caused some ripples in the England team at the time. I'm hoping to release that very soon. So stay subscribed and you won't miss it. If you're off to Wembley for one or both games, safe trip, I may see you there. Come and say hi. Um, I think I'm in the lower tier behind one of the goals for both of the games. So until the next time, take care of yourselves. Cheers.